Hello, and welcome to The Value in Giving. I'm your host and president of Vanguard Charitable, Jane Greenfield. And today I have Rebecca Moffat joining me. Rebecca is Vanguard Charitable's Chief Strategic Planning Officer. And she's joining me to close out and recap our first season, which focused primarily on COVID-19 relief. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi, Jane. I'm excited to have you here. I know you've been a listener all along the way, and now you get to be part of part of the podcast. So, you know, Rebecca, before we recap the season of podcasts, I just wanted to step back and discuss why we decided to start a podcast series at all. I recall you came to me and said, we should do this. And literally a few weeks later, we were recording. So talk to me about why you thought this was something we should do. Sure. Now, that's a great question to reflect on as we start this recap. You know, and Jane, ultimately, we launched the podcast because we really wanted to encourage giving during this time of incredible need. You know, our donors were anxious to give. They wanted to know how to make a difference when we were all facing this really steep learning curve. We were all in uncharted waters during this time. And so we decided to go down a number of different paths to help our donors. We started by actually creating a digital resource center for donors that included a list of charities provided by Charity Navigator. It promoted local giving through community foundations. And we also sent a survey to learn more from our donors on how we could help them through additional resources. And then we really started this podcast because we knew how important it was to personify the need and how better to do that than to feature the organizations who are doing this amazing work. The good news is, is that due to our scale and grant making, we have some pretty incredible friends and therefore we were able to interview the Silicon Valley Community Foundation, UNICEF USA, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the CDC Foundation, Feeding America, and lastly, the Center for High Impact Philanthropy, a pretty incredible group of organizations. And we wanted to bring together a really good group of philanthropic leaders, all of whom were doing really great work, but also focusing on that work in different ways. So the CDC Foundation, UNICEF, and Feeding America are all more on the front lines, helping a broader group of people due to COVID and trying to ensure that they're delivering all that's needed in this very new and very stressful environment. Whereas Silicon Valley Community Foundation has been working with leaders in the community to really gauge where the greatest need is and ensure that the dollars are being put to work in those areas. And then the Gates Foundation and the Center for High Impact Philanthropy are trying to ensure that philanthropists can have the greatest impact in these difficult times. And so all of these leaders and all these organizations are working toward the same goal of trying to be part of the solution, but of course, approaching it in really different and very valuable ways. Well, Rebecca, you're right. It is good to have amazing friends, and we were so pleased to deliver them to our listeners via this podcast. So in today's episode, what we're going to do is really pull a few themes from the various podcasts, along with a few updates that we've gained from these organizations since they recorded their podcast, as we talk about three things. We'll start by talking about how generous people have been in their charitable giving and how important it will be to continue that generosity over the longer term. The second thing we'll talk about is what COVID has revealed 
about other long-standing societal issues. And then finally, we'll end with what you, our listener, can do next as a philanthropist. I think those are three really great and important themes. So why don't we start by diving right into the first theme of how generous people have been in their charitable giving and how important it's going to be to continue that generosity over the long term. Our donors have been incredibly generous, and thank goodness for that, as the need has really been devastating. This pandemic has had both a health and an economic impact. From a health perspective, there's been a need to support healthcare workers and volunteers who've really been overwhelmed by the number of sick people they've needed to help and who've had to take precautions while helping them. So you think about where we've been in the last few months. Giving to help our healthcare workers safely help those who are sick has been imperative. And a key message that we've sent to our donors is that it's important to not just shift money to this cause, but really to give more. Now, Michael Neinheis, who is from UNICEF, the CEO there, he spoke to this in our podcast and reminded us that while the pandemic is occurring, all of the underlying issues that existed before still exist. So, for example, he talked about Children across the globe still need to be vaccinated in order to have a chance to survive. And basic vaccination programs still need to happen. So he said there are 117 million children whose basic vaccinations had been suspended as we focused on COVID. His call to action was to get that back on track. We need to do all that existing work and COVID at the same time. And he mentioned that that's why it's so great to have donors who have charitable money put aside to do just that. They can support COVID relief and the basic necessities that they've always supported. There's also the economic impact of shutting down the economy. And the result of that is families being unequipped to handle their children learning from home, people becoming food insecure. Uh, The need has just been incredible. And Casey Marsh from Feeding America said that There were 37 million people facing food insecurity before COVID. There is over 17 million more due to COVID. So that adds up to over 54 million people or one in six Americans facing food insecurity. And she even talked about the fact that there were people who had been donors to Feeding America in the past and are now customers of Feeding America, visiting food banks for their services for the very first time because of the economic impact of COVID. Jane, those are some really sobering statistics and points for all of us to take a moment and reflect upon. The good news is that donors have given generously. We've seen that here at Vanguard Charitable. Our donors have really jumped in. Granting through Vanguard Charitable has been up nearly 45% year over year during the COVID timeframe, thanks to our donors understanding that they really are in this unique position to help in the pandemic. But we also know that we're not alone. Silicon Valley shared that they have distributed $165 million in grants to support COVID-19 related causes. And the charities that they're giving those dollars to are absolutely feeling that support. They've set up three different funds as the realization of needs evolved over the first couple months of the pandemic. So with the first fund, they had a relationship with the CDC Foundation and they were able to set up and launch that fund early in order to support the CDC Foundation's efforts. Within two weeks of that fund being set up, the pandemic hit Washington State. 
So the other community foundations and private foundations in the Pacific Northwest then connected with Silicon Valley, wondering what to do and recognizing that the pandemic was, of course, headed their way. Silicon Valley Community Foundation then turned that fund into a regional response fund, which helped individuals and families who would be most in need during the pandemic. Once this first fund was set up and established and money was flowing into it, they then pivoted slightly to start thinking about the impact COVID-19 is having on both the nonprofit sector and the business sector with a specific focus on small businesses. Many of these organizations only had 15 days of cash on hand, and yet they needed to employ and support a number of employees, particularly minorities. So they set up a regional nonprofit fund to help the struggling nonprofits, and then separately set up a regional small business fund to help small businesses survive, which was before the CARES Act was enacted. Donors then had the option to be able to choose amongst those three funds they wanted to put their charitable dollars into. These three funds had a really great impact in that area. That's just incredible. I mean, it is it is so great to see how generous our donors have been, how generous philanthropists across the country have been in this important time. And Rebecca, you and I have had an opportunity to speak a lot about this. We've gotten a lot of questions from reporters, et cetera, around, you know, what what's happening in the world of giving. And it, it's been a great news story. But while the need is huge right now, it's just the immediate response phase of this COVID disaster. We heard from, I think, all six of our guests on the podcast that, yeah, the money is needed now for sure, but it will be needed ongoing. So while there's been a huge cry for help and the help has come in, it can't stop. People continue to lose their jobs. People continue to get sick. People are wondering if their children will be going back to school. And if they don't, they're wondering how their kids are going to continue to learn if they don't have the right setup at home for learning. And I will tell you, people who are economically disadvantaged don't have the right setup at home. So there's a huge need now, but after the immediate response phase, there'll be a recovery phase, which for COVID will be huge. It'll require a lot of support as vaccines and therapeutics will need to be delivered across the globe. And then after the recovery phase comes a preventative phase where we should be leveraging lessons learned to prevent vulnerabilities should there be another pandemic in the future. You know, there's been huge lessons learned through this. And we'd be remiss if we didn't leverage them. In fact, Kat Raschetta at CHIP said, right now, absolutely, if you have the funds and you can save lives, save those lives now. But remember, we need smart money at every stage. So when you think about COVID relief, we have to remember there's multiple stages. This will be a multi-year requirement from us. And then in the midst of all this, There'll be other disasters over the next few years. I wish I could say there weren't going to be them, but but we see disasters every year, whether they be wildfires, hurricanes, et cetera, that require relief. And there's actually already been another call to action over the past month and a half since George Floyd's death around social justice. So in addition to the various stages of COVID relief, in addition to disasters, We all know that there are nonprofits across this country that deliver important services to their communities that have been hit 
really hard financially by COVID. They require our support too, to get back on their feet and remain on their feet. So the need isn't ending. We need to make sure that funding continues into the long term. Absolutely, Jane. Casey Marsh from Feeding America connected with us after the podcast to remind us of just that. And she said specifically to us, our network of food banks is seeing a sustained increase in the number of people seeking food assistance, including many people visiting our food banks and pantries for the first time. The stats just continue to demonstrate demand week after week. They did a recent Feeding America survey that showed that 94% of the food banks report seeing an increase in the number of people served compared to this time last year, with an average increase of almost 60%. Wow. Those are some staggering statistics. So I think the big question is, is the increase giving we're seeing today then sustainable as more of these needs continue to emerge? Yeah, that is the big question. And, you know, I don't think we know the answer quite yet. But I did have a chance to talk to Nicole Taylor from the Silicon Valley Community Foundation about that question. Nicole joined us in episode one. But recently, when I talked to her, she said, you know, it's tricky to reach a conclusive statement about overall giving based on trends and observations, because we're seeing a myriad of unprecedented crises during this time. She did note that what is extraordinary is that community foundations across the country have mobilized more than $1 billion to help nonprofits through this pandemic. Silicon Valley alone had distributed more than $184 million in grants to support COVID-19 relief since January. She did indicate, though, that she's seen a slight deceleration in giving to COVID causes, possibly due to people thinking that we're closer to being out of the woods than we actually are. She indicated the pandemic and economic closures are persisting. We had a long way to go. And she's hoping that donors will continue to step up and give. But she said part of this really involves us continuing to inform our donors about the growing needs in the community and how they can help. Jane, Dr. Judy Monroe also indicated that they had a concern that donations have slowed as well. She sent in a clip, so let's listen to that now. Donations have slowed down just as we need them more than ever. More donors are restricting their donations to specific locations or needs, but unrestricted donations are vital to our ability to meet the urgent needs. At Vanguard Charitable, Jane, I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot. We continue to really connect with our donors and remind them of the importance of giving unrestricted to put that trust into the nonprofits that you're supporting and allow them to deploy those funds how they see best. And we're also encouraging them to give now and to give generously, but also to make sure that they have a really long-term vision in mind, because as we've heard from our podcast guests, you know, this need will not go away anytime soon. That's right, Rebecca. The good news is we're hearing from donors that they're thinking about it too. They're not just listening to us, but they're actively thinking about their role today and tomorrow. Interestingly, since we featured Feeding America in episode five, Casey Marsh told us that while many donors are focused on providing relief to people impacted by the COVID-19 crisis, many are also asking how they can be part of transformational change over the next several years to join Feeding America in efforts to end hunger in this country. And that's a very welcome trend. Dr. Judy Monroe from the CDC Foundation 
who we just heard from, sent us an update since episode four. And since we have her on tape, let's listen to what she said. We know now that we are still in the first wave and the chance of a second wave in August or September is high. We need everyone to follow the precautions to protect themselves and others to reopen and keep open our economy. The need to help schools reopen safely is a great need right now. CDC, health departments, and the schools have identified several needs where philanthropic support could be of great value. We are working with both national and local partners to help the schools. So Jane, no doubt the need for COVID-19 support absolutely continues. But we also know, as you had mentioned much earlier, that it cannot replace the support for other needed help. And that's definitely a theme that we heard, that COVID-19 has exacerbated issues and disrupted many nonprofits' ability to drive their missions forward. And UNICEF has seen this with the children that they're helping with non-COVID healthcare getting disrupted. They shared this clip with us since episode two. In fact, we anticipate an additional 6,000 children could die every day over the next six months because of the disruption in services caused by COVID-19 and the increased economic hardships. Yeah, there's, there's so much that 2020 has brought to light, so many issues and causes to support and so many needs to address. And for our donors, the good news is it provides them with a great opportunity to really make a difference. Now let's move into our second theme, where we have seen COVID has also put a spotlight on the longstanding systemic issues on a more global scale. So in the midst of the first wave, the stark realities of the prevalence of racial injustice also sprang to the forefront of our minds. Yeah, that's right. Um, Nicole Taylor from Silicon Valley spoke about this in our podcast She indicated, we've been focused on reducing systemic disparities. This pandemic has revealed the ugly truth about inequality and inequity in our country. And she indicated, we're taking this head on. She said that she's seeing racial inequities of who is dying through this as well. And I think we've heard that from multiple sources, bringing to light the structural inequities that we've had for many, many years. Casey Marsh said, We've had a lot of discussions around lessons learned from COVID. To achieve a vision of a hunger-free America, we have to address the root causes of hunger and look at structural racial inequities. COVID put a spotlight on that. And since our episode, episode five with Feeding America, Casey told us that double the number of black households face hunger as compared to white households. And the economic effects of COVID-19 are set to make that even worse. Unbelievable. UNICEF also shared a clip with us around the work that they're doing that has always had a focus on social justice. UNICEF's work is rooted in the rights of the child. So UNICEF has always been a champion for equity and justice. UNICEF USA encourages our supporters to take action and to make their voices heard and especially the voices of youth heard. We know societies can change. We've been 
seeing refugee and host communities integrate over time. We implement programs dedicated to ending xenophobia, and we strive to have every child, no matter their race, gender, identity, sexual orientation, nationality, to have all the opportunities to thrive. And Chip will be analyzing the top 100 submission to the MacArthur Foundation's 100 and Change competition for their potential to address structural inequities. So it's great to see what our partners around philanthropy are doing as organizations, but I do want to highlight one individual here. So since our podcast, I circle back to Nicole Taylor, who is not only a strong and thoughtful leader of an important community foundation in California, but is also a black leader in philanthropy. I asked her whether she was doing anything personally as a black woman to contribute to positive change in the area of social justice. And I was not at all surprised that the answer was yes. In fact, Nicole is contributing in a variety of different ways. For example, she launched a President's Community Advisory Council where she engages community leaders of color to ensure that they're continuing to implement policies, practices, and strategies through a lens of race and equity. She also wrote a guest column published in the Silicon Valley Business Journal calling for the business community to take action against racial injustices. She moderated a webinar with leaders from KQED and NPR, where they discussed how public media is working on addressing misinformation on COVID-19 and how they're covering social justice issues in this historic moment in our country. They talked about how they're committing to diversifying not only their newsrooms, but also their reporting. And she didn't stop there. She hosted a panel discussion with two leaders, both Stanford professors in the racial justice field, where they discussed racism and criminal justice. These conversations provided a space for her donors and community partners to reflect on how everyone can work together to rebuild equitable systems that will serve all members of our communities. And then finally, in addition to all that work, Nicole, like many black leaders at this time in our country, has made herself available to white colleagues who are leaders of companies and organizations and are reaching out to her for advice and counsel on what they should attempt to do, on getting feedback on what they're attempting to implement and how they as individuals can step up. So I did want to really highlight Nicole because in addition to leading an organization that's making a big change with COVID and with racial justice issues, she personally has stepped in. Nicole is an an inspirational leader, that is for sure. Definitely somebody that I look up to as a leader in the sector. And to see all that she's doing to lead Silicon Valley Community Foundation, then plus everything else is pretty phenomenal work. As an organization, Silicon Valley has also compiled and launched a racial equity and social justice webpage on their site, which includes anti-racism and racial disparity resources for the community, and has a list of person of color or POC-led organizations working to address racial justice. They shared with us that their donors have been very receptive to this page and are keen on learning more on how they can support organizations that are working on social justice issues. But Dr. Judy Monroe at the CDC Foundation also reflected about the healthcare injustices. And let's listen to what she said about that. 
The first wave of the pandemic is still crossing the U.S., and since we last spoke, we have seen a surge of cases in southern and western states. We have also seen increased evidence of the stark racial disparities that have appeared with COVID-19. The CDC Foundation has done work on health equity in the past, and we are doing so again as part of the COVID-19 response. We recently announced a partnership with the Satcher Health Leadership Institute at Morehouse School of Medicine to help address the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on minority groups. Our response efforts have intensified around vulnerable populations as local health departments are requesting more help with clusters of COVID-19 in vulnerable communities. And then Gates shared with us that they funded the Momentum Fund, which is a really interesting fund. It will provide grants focused on the health and economic impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, which have been particularly devastating for Black, Indigenous, and people of color. The Momentum Fund's advisory board recognizes that these disproportionate impacts did not begin with the coronavirus and are another manifestation of the deadly outcomes of systemic racism deeply rooted in our nation's history. Change in these outcomes demands that philanthropy explicitly and unapologetically center racial equity and justice in its grant-making practices and goals. So Rebecca, you and I have covered quite a bit so far. We've talked about how generous donors have been and how important that generosity is to continue forward. We've talked about the longstanding societal issues around social justice and how COVID has really put another spotlight on the need for change. But let's get to our final piece, which is what our listeners can do next as philanthropists. We've been hearing a lot from our donors about how they're thrilled to have this chance to jump in and help today, but they really want to understand how to make the biggest impact going forward. So I thought instead of you and I telling our donors what we think they should do, we might really leverage the lessons that we've learned from our podcast guests. And I'll start with Victoria Brana from Gates. You know, she indicated this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. She heard a donor say early on in the crisis that this is the rainy day that we've all been saving for, so give more than you normally would. And Victoria agreed with that, but she said, use your head to plan for the long term. A long term strategy means you pace yourself. You have to pace yourself through this kind of crisis. And she indicated that while emergency support is where our heart goes, our head has to stay engaged to ensure that we're investing in the recovery and the resilience effort. She wanted to really give us a call to action around how we're going to take the opportunity for what she called reinvention so that we emerge stronger. And she indicated that would take some money. Michael from UNICEF said, I'm really hopeful that a crisis like this brings issues to someone's attention and that their attention has staying power. So for example, someone who wasn't thinking a lot about global health issues in the past probably is thinking about them a lot more right now. And his hope is that it becomes a driver for them to continue to be interested in it once this particular crisis goes away. You know, it was interesting. He said, he said something that really stuck with me. He said, you know, a lot of global health crises are out there, but we don't experience them. We read about them. We just don't experience them. But this one has been unique because everybody has experienced COVID-19. And he's hoping it sensitizes us to the importance of helping in global health issues and 
ensuring a stronger global health infrastructure. And he ended with an important note by saying, health is really the gateway to everything else. If people are sick, it's impossible for them to make progress in any other way. And he talked about places where people have to work today to feed their families that night. And if they're sick, they can't do that. Judy from the CDC Foundation said one thing. She said, on the other side of this, we just need a stronger public health infrastructure. We also learned from Kat Raschetta at the Center for High Impact Philanthropy, who reminded us that there are phases of a crisis. We start with immediate response, then we move to recovery, then to rebuilding, and then risk mitigation and planning. And she also reminded us that those communities that learn from prior disasters and build mitigation plans become more resilient. So with those kind of two pieces of information in mind, Kat's guidance was think about your portfolio and then think about a percentage that you would, of course, focus on the immediate needs versus some that you might want to set aside for future needs because there's still so much learning to be done. You may want to see what we have not yet learned that might lead to amazing social impact. And we will need, Jane, as you said from Kat's words of wisdom earlier, we need smart money at every stage. I do think it's also important to note that in addition to releasing version one of their philanthropic response data dashboard and continuing to update their COVID-19 guidance, which you can find on their website, CHIP's flagship funder education program on practicing high impact philanthropy is going virtual now in September. But this means a couple of things. It means that they can now open up enrollment to additional candidates They can add new modules and faculty focus on COVID-19 response, crisis grant making, and addressing structural inequities. So if you're interested, application information is available on the Center for High Impact Philanthropy website. Casey from Feeding America also shared with us that during immediate need, during that stage, is often the way that their donors first come to us, which is so incredibly needed. And then there is looking at how you can be a donor over the long term, over the long haul, and getting to the heart of some of these systemic changes that we really need to tackle. She shared, you know, we know that our donors are long term in their approach. And 2020 is the type of year that causes people to think about how to divvy up philanthropic dollars to meet today's needs in a way that allows them to still support causes for years to come. I'm in full agreement with Casey that there's a lot from 2020 that we can learn. That is for sure. Agreed. And we've seen our donors give tremendous support to organizations like Feeding America, UNICEF, Silicon Valley, CDC Foundation. And our hope is that if they're first-time donors, it's a great introduction and that they continue that support. So we talked about a number of different things. Hopefully for our listeners, there's a nugget or two in there that gives you insight into what you want to do philanthropically moving forward. But we'll end with a note of thanks to our donors and to all of those who've been so generous throughout this time and who plan to continue their generosity moving forward. I will tell you that Rebecca and I and all of our gang here at Bangor Charitable have been truly inspired by what our donors are doing. And we have tremendous confidence that they will continue to jump in and be part of the solution. 
But in addition to Rebecca and I being thankful, our guests, our podcast guests are incredibly thankful to you as well. For example, Nicole said to hear what our donors are doing just gives her hope. She said, you know, people who have been fortunate have put their money aside to give through their DAP and they have given so generously. Her hope is that when we get through this, we'll really be redefined as a nation. I also want to end with a quote from Michael Neinheis from UNICEF. I think he would love to provide his note of thanks directly. So let's listen to this clip. Vanguard Charitable just facilitated a transformational gift on behalf of one of our donors. This gift really blew us away and it continues to inspire us and make us so grateful to have partners like Vanguard Charitable. But it'd be a huge missed opportunity to not take a moment to recognize you, Jane, your colleague Taylor and your team, and to thank you for fostering philanthropy and for your roles in fighting COVID and creating systemic change. Many thanks to our audience for listening, hopefully not only to this podcast, but to the six podcasts we delivered prior to this recap. If you haven't had a chance to listen, we believe that they're well worth your time. So please go back and listen to one, if not all. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you found this conversation and our other podcasts to be insightful, helpful as you think about your giving today and over the long term. And I hope you all find the value in giving. Mm -hmm.